The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We'll get back to today's episode here in a second. But first, this is Ethan Skolnick to tell you about another great party we're having in the Five Reasons Sports Network. Our first one for a Dolphins preseason game at Texas Roadhouse in Miramar was a huge hit. This time, we're going to be celebrating the Hurricanes as they play LSU September 2nd. That's a Sunday before Labor Day, so no school, no work the next day. Starting at about 7 o'clock, we'll be at Uncle Al's Cafe in Sunrise. That's the new Uncle Al's Cafe. It's over on Sunrise and Knob Hill in the Doris Italian Market Shopping Center. We've got a ton of giveaways. We've got food specials, drink specials. We're even going to be giving away a 50-inch television. So come hang out with the hosts of the Five Reasons Sports Network. Drink, eat, and hopefully watch the Canes beat LSU. And now, back to the episode. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and I'm Alf, and I'm here with Simon and Chris. Before we get to something that Chris has been doing on Dolphin Maven, uh, at the top of the show, you heard a promo for our next watch party, which is at the new Uncle Al's Cafe on Sunrise and Knob Hill, which is kind of interesting because this could be a very elaborate plan for Ethan to I eliminate need, me from the network due to liver failure. I need to, I need to interrupt, okay? Knob mm-hmm. Hill? Did I was just going to say that. What's most interesting about that? The, I think the fact that there's a Knob Hill. Yes, because there is in, a Knob Hill down here. A Knob yes. is what you boys would say. We, we know. Wiener. <laughs> knob also it's a good way of saying mate you're an absolute knob yes you know it's a good put down but and it's right knob next to sunrise takes the cake well, i mean that i'm i'm less worried about sunrise it's knob <laughs> hill i'm worried if my address was knob hill i'd have to move well that begs the question simon do you have any weird street addresses in in the uk yeah oh my god there's no, all sorts of weird give us your best give us your best give us your best Listen, I've got the top 10 names of weird place names in the UK. You ready for this? Go ahead. Yes. Okay. And I'm going to count it down in reverse order. Number 10, Crotch Crescent. (laughs) Crotch Crescent. That doesn't sound like a place I'd like to visit. Crotch Crescent in Oxford. Okay. Okay. Number nine is Dick's Mount. (laughs) That's, that's, that's even yeah. less. That's even, even less. Even less be, of, of an appetizing place to go visit. This might be my favorite. Minge Lane. In- <laughs> <laughs> that place doesn't exist. You you made that up. 
I've got a photograph of the actual street name right in front of me. Number seven. It was on a Beatles album. Yeah. Number seven, Scratchy Bottom in Dorset. (laughs) Number six. Now, this is weird if you think about it and scary if you have one of these. And also, this word means something different to you guys than it does to us over here. But number six is Fanny Barks in Durham. Because obviously a fanny is not a backside. It's a lady garden. Um, Number five is in South Lancashire and it's Knob End rather than Knob Hill. (laughs) Number four is a town or a village in Orkney, which is an island off the coast of uh, Mm. Scotland, and it's just twat. (laughs) (laughs) Where are you going, Mum? I've got to go to twat to pick up the shopping. (laughs) I've got to go to pick up your husband from twat. Um, Number three is Boggy Bottom Road in Hertfordshire. Number two. Wait, let me just interrupt you there. What do you call a person from twat? Twat. Uh, uh, they're twats, uh, I suppose. Uh, twats, I guess. A citizen yeah. of twat. Uh, I'm a twat, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a twat. Yeah. Yeah. Number two is Brown Willie in Cornwall, which, <laughs> uh, why? I mean, why? I have never no thought com- of that. I have no comment on that one. No comment on that at all. No. And the, the, the number one, um, the number one sort of rude, rude in inverted commas place name in the UK is Bellend in Worcestershire. Nice. That's the street name. <laughs> There's also, there's also a licky end. <laughs> oh boy. How did that well, not fact, make the list? Well, in, well, shall I tell you why I didn't make the list? Because oh, yes. Bell End is a road and it's located in the village of Licky End. <laughs> oh and there's God. an honourable mention here for, uh, goes to Cumrose in <laughs> Pembrokeshire. Cumrose. Well, Cumrose. Oh my God. Well, here in the United States, go. all we have is like very, very strange names for athletes and... <laughs> I will just drop one. He's an NASCAR driver, and I don't think anybody anywhere on the planet can beat this guy's name. His name is Dick Trickle. Well, yeah. you say that. There used to be a German footballer who scored a very uh, a very important goal against England at the European Football Championships in 1996 called Stefan Kuntz, which is spelled <laughs> K-U-N-T-Z. Now, if you're German, Kuntz means art. So his yeah. name was Stefan Art. But when he equalised in the first half of the semi-final of Euro 96 at Wembley Stadium in a, a summer in which it looked like England were going to win a major football tournament and therefore the whole the whole country just went into this beautiful, delirious kind of... It was the greatest summer of my youth. When the BBC commentator, very famous commentator, the sort of Al Michaels of the UK at the time, John Motson, the ball came into the penalty area and all Motson said was, Kuntz! As he scored, because that was kind of the reaction as the ball came in. And that has lived in infamy with people of my age, because all you can think about, apart from England losing and the dramatic way with which they lost, when you strip it back, all you remember is John Motson shouting, Kuntz, as, as Germany equalised. So Stefan Kuntz. I scream that sometime is... on some, some football Sundays. We do go. we do get some good horse names every now and then in uh, in, in the Derby or, or one of the other races. Uh, Bodacious Tatas in 1985. That was. Yeah. The, there's a there's another German footballer called Ralph Minge. He probably lives on Minge Lane. <laughs> well, and there's also he's moving to Twat though. Yeah, Wayne Wanklin. He played in midfield for somebody. Um, uh, wasn't he a member of the Dolphins? Could probably yeah. Um, and there's a there's a fullback who I think still plays for Marseille in France called Rod Fanny, which is quite a cool name. So oh boy. there you go. Look, like we're like 11, we're eleven year old kids. Well, Simon, we love we're, it. we're pretty excited about having a new sponsor on the show. We are. 
yes, nothing to do with any of these names. No, but no. I've now got I've now got these names in my head <laughs> as I do this introduction to our new sponsor. So let's see if I can get through it. The NFL and NCAA seasons are upon us, people, and it's time to take your pigskin knowledge to the bank with our new sponsors, BetDSI.com. BetDSI.com are celebrating 20 years online and have built an impeccable reputation for great service and fast payment of your winnings. They have an excellent mobile interface so you can play, win, and get paid anytime, anywhere. To help you get started with some extra bang for your buck, BetDSI are offering double your money on your first deposit. That's right. Deposit now to start winning and get up to $2,500 free. That's double your money from the get-go. So when it comes to football, BetDSI has every wager you could want. If it's happening, they've got a line on it. Plus, it's not just football. You want baseball, the NBA, UFC, eSports, something called soccer? You've got it. You can even bet on politics and reality TV shows. You're ready to win, right? So join BetDSI.com today using promo code YARDS101 and double your bankroll from the get-go. That's promo code YARDS101 to get in the action and get paid. Don't stand on the sidelines, people. Be in it to win it and enjoy the games that much more when you play at betdsi.com. $2,500 free. That's like free. I will take that anytime. <laughs> anywhere. And I anywhere. Checked, and I checked their lines, and their lines are pretty good. Like uh, for this watch party, there's going to be on Sunday. Before you come to the watch party, li- log on to Bet DSI and place a bet on the Hurricanes. I mean, quite literally, buy us a drink with your twenty five hundred free dollars. Yeah, quite literally. That? What have you got to lose? It's yeah. twenty five hundred dollars for free. Yes. Now I'll I'm not gambling. Providing, man. I'll be providing a link. Please click on that and use our promo code. By the way, speaking of Miami against LSU, kicking off at the weekend. Greedy Williams against Armand Richards is going to be one hell of an NFL first-round battle on the opening NCAA weekend, isn't it? Yes. Now, is Amon Richards going to be healthy this year, or is he going to slink away is, injured when the games are most important? Rumor is he's looking rough. good, but that's that's harsh. Nice. There's, some gr- there's some great games this weekend, but like Auburn, Washington, Michigan, He's Notre Dame, just and LSU, kid. Miami. He's just a kid. Alf's destroyed him. Yes. I'm just He's, seeing what happened. That was brutal. Hey, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not making that it's like up. we're talking about Devontae Parker or something. I wonder if we can get a line from betdsi.com on whether or not Armand Richards will slink away, as Alf said, <laughs> in the big games. What line do you get on that? Betdsi.com. I'll put 2500 on that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> slink away. Speaking of slink away, thanks, Chris. Let's get back to football because we've talked pretty much nothing about football for the first three days of the show. The Dolphins played the Ravens. They got beaten heavily, didn't care. They played okay. They played well in patches. They didn't play so well in patches. The penalties sort of got a little bit sorted out and sort of didn't. The third yard conver- the third down conversions were yeah. three of ten. Gave up a lot of run yards in the second half, certainly. Defensively looked a bit better. Run fits were a bit better. Linebackers played a little bit better. They were fine. Minka Fitzpatrick looked a phenomenal, you know, the phenomenal draft pick that we thought he did. Mike Jasicki caught his first pass. Boys, what did you think? What was your takeaways from the game? How did you feel, feel it went? Do you care about the result? Or do you care that the Dolphins were kind of playing decent football with the first teamers out there, even though Baltimore rested a lot of their first team players? How did you... How did you feel like it went? Well, last week on the pod, what did I say? I wanted to see the defense hold their offense in the first half to a field goal and nothing else. So put a check mark right next to that. And I wanted to see the offense score two touchdowns in the first half. Well, we didn't get that. But we got two pretty good drives at the end. You know, I was happy. I was happy with what I saw. 
except for that first quarter. That first quarter on offense was a nightmare. It wasn't held by the fumbles, was it? Two fumbles from Tannehill, especially yeah, the first, I, especially the first one, which you know, admittedly was going back to throw to a wide open Kenyon Drake and the ball, like you know, wet ball slipping up. out. Yeah, yeah wet I ball think, slipping out of his hands. I think the evidence is already clear that Ryan Tannehill does not like wet football. Wet ball. Yeah, right. that's yeah. true. It's it's his entire career. It's happened his entire career. It's a miracle that. One of his That's best moments came in the rain against the Rams, where he mm. led two touchdown drives inside of three minutes. But it's always been an issue. But I thought he looked fine. And how do how do you think he lo- how do you think he looks? How do you think he mentally looks? How do you think he physically looks? Because to me, he looks really good. He's, but again, he's given you like zero indication that anything even happened last year, right? I mean, yeah, 100%. he hasn't looked to me anything like a guy that you you are seeing that came off of a serious injury and you know you're trying to get him back into the swing of things uh you wouldn't know that he just had acl surgery less than a year ago yeah i mean we say you know of course we were hoping we were that hopeful last year and then the scrimmage came and and he slips his knee out again and i mean really we've been watching him now uh alfie been to the practices and mm-hmm. we've seen him in three preseason games now it just he just looks like himself i mean there's there's nothing else to it he looks like himself yeah were you concerned? There was a moment where he was sacked, the first sack that he had without oh, a fumble. Mm. Yeah, of course. But not, not concerned about injury, more concerned about pocket presence, which is something that we've discussed ad infinitum with, with Tannehill. And, you know, he, the, the pressure came off the right side. So Juwan James got sort of pressured. And although that was Matt right, Judon, if I'm not, if I'm it not was, mistaken. It was. And, uh, and he, you know, he, he's got, he's got promise. Absolutely. I think good player. player but, but Ryan obviously was. Um, facing or sort of, you know, obviously because the way he was standing was turned body-wise mm-hmm. more towards the Dolphin sideline. He could have, if he'd wanted to, sort of backed left towards Laramie Tunsil because there was no, there was nothing. That, but, you know, it would have involved having eyes in the back of his head, essentially. So he didn't do mm-hmm. it. And, and what he really did was step up into the right, into Jesse Davis and sort of look a little bit meek and was taken down for a sack. People criticized him. I don't, do I don't worry about that. That's no, what he's I taught to do. That. That's what he's taught to do. He's taught he's taught to step up into the. I mean, he, he's feeling some pressure off of his right hand or right side with with uh, Juwan James matched up on Matt Judon, and so he's trying to step up and and out to the right. And the problem was that there was also middle pressure, and and that's the that's the thing that Miami is trying to avoid this year, with you know shoring up the middle of the offensive line with Josh Sitton and Daniel Kilgore and uh, and letting Jesse Davis play at right guard. And it just so happened on this occasion, it was that big uh, defensive tackle that uh, Baltimore Williams, has. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, mm-hmm. I think, him, I think it was him. And, uh, and he's going to give a lot of people a hard time. And he's, uh, he's he really was, good. Yeah. Because he's really, really excellent. And he was barreling right into Jesse. I mean, Jesse Davis was slowing him down and, you know, doing all right. But with the pressure coming from the right side with Matt Judon uh, on uh, on Juwan James forcing Tannehill to step up, Hmm. that really changed some things for that matchup with Jesse Davis. And um, and so it was a sack. What's remarkable about it is it was like basically the first time in the preseason that we'd seen that happened with the first string offensive line. I think, I think it was probably the first time from the first stringers that didn't end because of some stupid shoot yourself in the foot, uh, penalty or, you know, dropping the football or doing whatever. It was just a drive that ended because the offense couldn't get going. We talked last week about them not putting the ball up and throwing it down the field. They did it. 
and they did it with the first team offense. Ryan threw this beautiful ball down the field uh, to Kenyon, to Kenyon Drake, who caught it in stride. Uh, people complained, and we talked about it last week, about you know us not putting the ball up down the field. But also, we've talked all spring and summer about having uh, running backs who can go out, split out wide, and, and be matchup problems. And this yeah. is what we saw. You know, and Kenyon, he's that guy. Tony, Oh, isn't he? But, you know, Caelan Balash has the ability to do that. Frank Gore has the ability to do that. I'm pretty sure Sonoris Perry has the ability to do that as well, um, you know, if called upon. But it, it was interesting to see, A, such a pretty pass down the field, but also, B, the recipient of that pass being, you know, our borderline superstar running back. All right. Uh, if you remember those last two drives, some very interesting things happened. First of all, you saw that Kenyon Drake run. Uh, Chris, do you remember the play call on that Kenyon Drake run? Uh, that was, um, yeah, that was a wham block, right? Yeah. They left both defensive tackles unblocked and they mm-hmm. nailed both of their wham blocks, which is pretty hard to do, but you saw the, the lane open up beautifully, perfectly executed 30 yard run. Then- it was really a perfect, I mean, you get the, this, this game is the one that you actually, that you actually game plan for a little bit. It's sort of the yeah. dress rehearsal. It was the perfect call for the way that those defensive tackles were playing through the first quarter and sort of wrecking wrecking us in the first quarter. It was it was totally in response to that, and it was just the perfect call. You have yes. to give him credit. Yes, it was. And, of course, that pass to Kenyon Drake was, was a thing of beauty. But, well, you wrote something for Dolphin Maven, Chris, and maybe you want to tell us about it. Yeah, actually, Dolphins Maven, by the way, is uh, Ethan Skolnick has taken over the uh, Miami Dolphins branch of the Maven uh, sports network and uh, this you can find this on footballmaven.io uh, slash dolphins I mean it's, it's pretty easy so um, and this is uh, a national publication and as Ethan put it recently he said I think CK enjoys having a place to put his stuff and uh, and that's not was uh, an odd thing to say yeah but uh, and yet and yet oh so accurate Um <laughs> So I have uh, I have been populating it with some articles, but the thing is that it's a great mix of guys like us, you know, um, uh, podcasters and and sort of new social media types, uh, and also beat writers, pure beat writers, guys like Antoine Staley, formerly USA Today, um, and uh, Craig Davis, and uh, you know some uh, Andy Kent, who used to work at MiamiDolphins.com. Uh, Harvey Fialkov, uh, who's great on video and used to work for the Sun Sentinel. You know, these guys are actually credentialed. They're following the Miami Dolphins beat and providing all of the same content that you would find in a, in a local newspaper or a local uh, news organization. Uh, but then they also get to mix guys, you know, schleps like us in there. And, um, and that, so that's nice. I wrote a piece on there. And I said that from the very first play on Miami on Miami's defense, you could see that this game, this Baltimore game, was going to be different from what they had shown against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Carolina Panthers. And this was a play that uh, really the Baltimore Ravens had just dialed up the perfect play for what we had on defense. We had a slot corner blitz coming with Minka Fitzpatrick, and they had a screen call straight to where straight to the man that make Fitzpatrick was leaving open. And so they had to get a hat on a hat that they, they just would have had to have the right tackle release out onto Raekwon McMillan and have 
Brashad Perriman stay engaged on Xavier Howard, and then that's it. Uh, Janarian Grant is off for a 69-yard touchdown. But all of the Dolphins worked together to really limit the um, the damage from that. You know, it's really a lucky play call. Uh, it's not that the Ravens knew that was coming. It's not that the Ravens called it in response to anything that they saw. It just it just happened to be the perfect play call for what we called. And um, and the fact that everybody, Cameron Wake, retraced back up the field and and made the numbers game uh, not work again all of a sudden for the Baltimore Ravens. Raekwon McMillan beat um, the right tackle, Orlando Brown Jr., to the spot and and figured, figured into the mix and made Janarian Grant slow down and try to leap over him. Xavier Howard was really dominating his block versus Brashad Perriman. T.J. McDonald, as the deep center safety, really hit his landmark and um, and made a good tackle, uh, support tackle as the last line of defense. Even Akeem Spence, who you know you guys have have criticized at some at various points this preseason, he has a lot of speed. Uh, it, you know you could see it in his ten yard split, and he showed it. He actually he he hustled up the field and uh, he he capped off the possible gain of this play. You could see everybody on the defense working in concert with one another, and it was different from what you saw against Carolina. It was different, especially on a couple of plays. It was different from what you saw against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where they were pretty much letting the Buccaneers have whatever they want Mm -hmm. uh, on the first-team defense versus the first-team offense. Um, So you could see right away that this was going to be a strong outing by the defense. And that's what it was. They allowed three points in the first half. And that is a dismal outing for the Baltimore Ravens offense in the first half. We've um, we've got some Twitter questions coming up, so I'm not going to impinge on those so much. But I do want to just get some quick fire sort of questions and answers from you boys, just short answers, really. Mm-hmm. So we won't call them Twitter questions, but perhaps we'll call them, uh, I don't know, Mrs. Ross, in, Mrs. Ross investigates. <laughs> no, I won't do the I won't do the accent. But um. So let's starting with the backup quarterback. It's not looked particularly good. David Fells looked better. Brock Osweiler threw what was believed to be his tenth interception in in, <laughs> in practice today. Yeah. Coach Gay said that the backup quarterback was definitely on the roster. Was definitely yeah, because it's David Fails. It's yeah. not going to be Bryce Pettit. So you you think it's going to be Fails, Alf? What do you think? Yeah, it's going to be Fails. And do you think they keep one or two? Oh, they got to keep That's one. Lovely. There's nobody else worth keeping on okay. this team. Do you think they're keeping one because Oswald has been so bad, or do you think they're keeping one because of injuries elsewhere? And I, I, I will get to it in a sec, but I specifically mean the wide receiver position because we there is a strong possibility that we go into the Tennessee game down two of our predicted five receivers, and therefore they may have to carry an extra receiver just for coverage at that point, which lessens the need to carry three quarterbacks. Yeah, they they need the extra, they need the spot, you know, because of that specifically. Yeah. But. Um, you know, Brock Osweiler has, has started to fall apart, I think. Yeah. Uh, he, people dig on what David Fales did in the game. I watched it, you know, I watched it all the way through, and I've watched everything he's done this preseason, and I don't see I don't see the criticism. He threw an interception, and that was on, pretty much it was on Rashawn Scott. Uh, he, you're throwing up a 50-50 ball. He got the ball far outside of the numbers, which is what you're supposed to do. And listen, you've got to you've got to run the route, and you've got to go up and get the get the football. But the the corner ran the route better than Rashawn Scott did. Yeah. So I mean, that's okay. I, I think I think that that's you know I think that there's a, there's a little overdone criticism of David Fails. 
I think he's the guy, clearly. He probably has been from the start. Uh, I think they could have kept Brock Osweiler as a third with the thought of maybe somebody would want to trade for him, you know, partway through the season if uh, they suffered some injuries at the position. But um, that's probably not going to happen now because they need the spot. Running back, Sonoris Perry has consistently done a really good job when he's been put in the game. And he he ripped off a a number of decent runs in this game. He's a strong special teams contributor. The the concussion issue with Kalen Balaja and Coach Gay said it today that He's improving, but he made no promises that he'd be back for the Tennessee game. Perry's on the team, isn't he? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. especially yeah. Uh, uh, you see him a lot on special teams. He's a good special teams player. He made the team. The receiver position, we just touched upon it there. Devontae Parker's still not catching balls with his broken finger. No. Jakeem Grant in concussion protocol after the heavy helmet-to-helmet hit in that game mm-hmm. against Baltimore last week. Three out of the five receivers, sorry, two out of the five receivers are essentially potentially down for week one against Tennessee. Do you think we can, first question A, do you think we carry six receivers, which then opens up the door for Leonte Carew, who's probably got the biggest game of his life tomorrow night against Atlanta, potentially, mm. uh, potentially Francis Owosu, potentially Isaiah Ford. Do you think that that is what the Dolphins will do? And it will be a starting three of Amandola, Wilson and Kenny Steeles with probably two, maybe three of those guys I just mentioned getting a bit of a reprieve. If, Devonte and um, uh, and Jakeem Kong. Well, they they need one to play special teams. So I know that they're big on availability, especially Rizzy. Yeah. So you know, you look around, who's available? Isaiah Drew Ford doesn't. Special, yeah, yeah Isaiah Drew Ford plays special teams. Yeah, Isaiah, Isaiah Ford doesn't play many special teams, but mm-hmm. he's also been unavailable at times yeah. this preseason. That's gonna hurt him. Leonte Carew looks okay in this last game. I think he hangs on because he's played well in special teams, especially mm. against Carolina. He looked pretty good. So I think I think as you said, Simon, this is the biggest game for Leonte. I mean, this yeah. this next game, this is it. Yeah, he I'm looks uh, he, look, he looks halfway competent. He makes the team. I'm yeah. pulling for the kid as well. I, I like him, and I do think there's a there, somewhere there's some sort of talent there. But yeah, I so. think I think that there's I I do think that there is a lot of backing for Isaiah Ford there. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that even though we might think that he's sort of fallen off a little bit as far as preseason production goes and and things like that, the coaches are still very very high on him. Uh, probably more so than than Leonte Carew. I think the the special teams is a factor here, but uh, you're gonna have to keep an eye on that. Uh, but also, listen, I, I understand that Jakeem Grant is in concussion protocol and and the hit that he took is a little scary, but if you know Jakeem Grant at all, um, and, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, but he is going to make sure that he is back as soon as possible. Um, he's, he's just that type. That's the way that he's, he's built. I suppose ultimately though, the decision is not in his hands. Well, it is. And it isn't because, uh, the, yes, there, there are aspects of it that, um, that, the medical staff, you know, they make the call, but they're also going off of a lot of player input too. Jakeem Grant, you know, sure enough, that's that was a helmet to helmet shot mm. that that was called, flagged. It's very unfortunate that he took such a vicious shot to his own head um, that got him injured. But you can, you're going to see more of those flags this year from defenders trying to tackle our tiny receivers. Jusicki caught his first pass. We've yeah. been told by uh, we've been told, all three of us, that Durham Smith has essentially made the team. 
Our good friend Adam Beasley said that Marquise Gray has pretty has all but made the team and intimated that AJ Derby was ahead in the race um, with Gavin Escobar and, and Thomas Duarte. It was interesting to see Smith played both with the first team and he was still playing in the fourth quarter in terms of mm-hmm. blocking and, and then running a few more rounds. Is that how we see it, breaking down as those four with Derby who plays special teams, Escobar played special teams, but it seems like Derby's probably just ahead of the curve in terms of that. Are we seeing those four guys being being the guys? Yeah, nothing's really changed since day one. Um, mm-hmm. I saw the the first the first snap I saw was in twelve personnel. This is the first uh, snap I saw in practice, and it was Gray and Gasecki, and they've been with the first team ever since, and it's never changed. So, but I think Derby and Derby and uh, and Smith are those next two guys. Absolutely. I think they've they've always been those next two guys, and they're going to be those next two guys. I think. I, it, the question I always had, and and we go back to the, some of the very first podcasts that we had here, is AJ Derby. Despite how much they talk about him, you could easily see him ending ending up fourth in this race. Mm-hmm. One word answer is tomorrow is Thursday night's game. Tonight's game um, against Atlanta in Atlanta is it Isaac Asiata's final game as a Miami Dolphin? Yes. Yes. Defensively wait, on the- wait, I'm sorry. Uh, oh. there, I'm sorry, but there is word. There's word that Ted Larson might have hurt himself in practice. Barry That's Jackson my reported. Only. Barry Jackson reported this evening that it wasn't. It wasn't deemed serious. Yes. It wasn't deemed serious. But what does yeah. that mean? Does that mean sometimes not not deemed serious can still mean two weeks? So I that's see that's. I, that, I think he's gone. Regardless. I think I think he would be, uh, barring injury to Ted Larson. I think if Ted Larson's head fell off, I'm still not sure Isaac Asiata would make the team. Ted Larson, by the way, for the first time this preseason, they they put him at center. I think that they might did. be the first time in any preseason they put him at center, and he looked good. I don't know. That was a thought, welcome sight. Yeah, he, he looked he well. very good there. I thought he looked compelling enough that Daniel Kilgore hasn't Kilgore. had the most awesome preseason. I think, and if you start to question that a little bit. Ted Larson's there to take over. This was this was the thing that I looked at right away when they signed him. I did not like him as a guard because you could just put on his guard tape and he was well. I thought he was awful. Um, I went all the way back to his Tampa Bay days when he was a center, and that's where I started to see a guy that that really intrigued me. And I think that if they move him to center, and the problem here is that Adam Gase has made it, you know, pretty clear that he wants. He wants sort of full-time centers because that position is so cerebral that he wants full full-time centers. He doesn't really want these, um, you know, half center, half guard type situations. So that's that's the the problem. But otherwise, you know, he looked like a starter to me. Okay, let's rattle through some more of these quick fire questions that are now slow fire questions. Um, <laughs> is is Robert Quinn our best trade since Ricky Williams? Hmm, that's a good question. I know that's why I asked it. Oh man, I'm trying because I'm trying to go back now through all the trades. Uh, Pennington ended up here as a free agent. Yeah. So man, we had to go all the way back to 2002. So yeah, I'm gonna say yeah because I can't think of a looks, better one. He looks serious, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Like I was telling uh, Chris the other day on our on our little DM thread that. If aliens had come down from the heavens and visited us for the first time the last two weeks, they would have thought that Robert Quinn was the best pass rusher of all time. Mm. What do you he think easily about sh- he easily should have had four sacks and yeah. about seven pressures in two What do you weeks. think about the, what do you think about the defensive tackles? Because Jordan Phillips showed up and played really well. 
Vincent Taylor had his moments. Um, Godchow jumped offside, but had, you know, penetrated into the backfield, made some plays. Uh, Kendall Langford played pretty well. And then there's Akeem Spence, who didn't flash really, but soaked up some double teams, helped other people. But do you think he's on the bubble? Because I, you know, I tweeted and had some conversations with people about potentially some some surprise names being on the bubble. Tony Lippett being one. Um, Akeem Spence being another. I know Mark Kelly said I agree, but actually having heard from Dolphin coaches, they think he's the, the he's the number one defensive tackle on the roster. I don't see that, but I'm not a coach, so you know, and I wouldn't mm. I wouldn't dare try and imply that I, I knew any more than than Chris Kaczurek or, or or whoever. But is Akeem Spence on the bubble? Is he in trouble, or or are we just over? Or am I, if it's much solely my opinion, just overthinking things? It's not that he's it's not that he's on the bubble to me so much as it's clear that Kendall Langford's making this team. Yeah. yeah. Do you well, think there's a possibility then that instead of carrying four defensive tackles and six defensive ends, that they carry five of each? And with the five defensive ends, then you have Wake, Harris, Quinn, Branch, and Will Hayes. Uh, Cam Malvo and Jonathan Woodard. Kind of thing. Yes, Woodard. Woodard. Do you think both of those miss out, and then neither, you know, because we've had them competing for one spot, the two of them. Mm. Do you think that actually, because of the way the defensive tackle situation is, that we end up with the five guys and the, the, the two young guys competing for the one spot are actually not competing for a spot at all? Yeah, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And another telltale sign was in the second quarter, you saw Jerome Baker line up at end and rush the passer mm. on a third down. I, so I, I, they thought have... Branch, I thought Branch played well, actually. Yes. Oh, he's play, he's played. He's had a great camp. The only thing yeah, is that, I, you know, Robert Quinn has overshadowed him. Yeah. And Cam Wake is still been, Cam Wake. I think Bosch mm-hmm. has been excellent, actually. I thought he... And, and you know, Char- I really liked what Charles Charles Harris showed, particularly in this Baltimore game. Yeah. I, I thought when you get into the second half, uh, he was really he was really turning it on. It was it was very good. He's, He's a, a lot more player. decisive. He's yeah, a lot he more is. decisive now than, than he was. He looks quicker. He hustles mm-hmm. more. I think he's. Um, I think he's. And people are. Oh, he's a bust. He's a bust. And I think what's happening is that you know, by the time Wake comes to retire, Harris is going to be ready to be a a serious player because he looks like that's the arc that he's going on. Yeah. Listen, we took we took some flack on social media. I tweeted that the linebackers look better. They look solid. They were fine. You know that 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 doesn't mean that we're talking about Mike Singletree and Ray Lewis and, and Bobby Wagner and <laughs> Luke Keekley. What yeah. we're talking about is that given some of the disappointments against Carolina, they looked a bit better. Run fits were a bit better. They were getting to the edge and sealing up and turning people inside. Pass coverage was fine. It wasn't great, but it was fine. There were still things to improve on. But generally, they looked a bit more solid than they did against Carolina. We took some flat. They were terrible. They were this, they were that. They were fine, weren't they? I mean, you know, they're not going to win awards, but they were fine. Raekwon looked a little bit better. I thought TJ McDonald had an excellent game in the box which raises an interesting question, which, which we'll get to in the secondary. But overall, I think they were too bad. You know, Chase Allen, again, played well. Yeah, they gave up the long run, but they gave up the long run with the, you know, the seven and eighth string defensive tackles just getting blown yeah. off the ball. And, you know, I could have... It was Terrence Garvin and Stephen yeah. Anthony and, yeah. you know, the, the defensive tackle. Tackle crew that that was in there. It was come on. I could have run up the middle there. I mean, yeah, come on. Yeah. You two boys probably not, but, I, but not I, us because we fried <laughs> no. foods at breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely not. Fried chicken steak for breakfast. You're not you're not getting through. You're not getting to the second <laughs> level, boys. You're not getting to the second level. Just good me. No. Um, but yeah, and then in terms of the secondary, Fitzpatrick looked really good, didn't he? he looked. I mean, he was reading plays like a six-year veteran, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, he, you could see just by the way that he moved, that he knew where the play was going. 
that he was clicking and closing. He was t- some of his open field tackling. He just looked really good. At, at what point does he have to be on the field all the time? But he's blossomed. He's blossomed in part because they moved him to the spot yeah. that he played for Nick Saban. Yeah, yeah. you know he you... he was he was the nickel slot guy seventy percent of the time or so with Nick Saban. They move him there, so and they move Bobby McCain outside, and lo and behold, you know Minka Fitzpatrick is the guy. You know he's playing where where he got famous. I mean that's it, that's you it was can interesting. See it. To, it was interesting to see though that there were times where where he would either McDonald would go in as the third linebacker or McDonald would come off the field. Rashad Mm. would play close to the line of scrimmage. He would play single high. Then he'd go to nickel. Do you know what I mean? They moved him. There was a a drive, and particularly in the first quarter, where they had Torrey McTire come on the field in place of Bobby McCain. That's right. And 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 what they did there is actually it was Rashad Jones who came Mm. off the field. And yeah. this is only because, let's face it, they don't need to see. No, of course not. They don't need to see what Rashad has. They know what he has. So they need to see the ongo. The evaluation is ongoing with a guy like T.J. McDonald. So they put T.J. McDonald on the field with Minka Fitzpatrick. Those are the two safeties, and then the corners were Xavier Howard and Tory McTire. And then when they went nickel, uh, Bobby McCain slipped in there at his old spot in the slot, and that was that was an interesting drive. That the, it was an evaluation drive. Let me give you something from Pro Football Focus. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick was the highest-rated first-round rookie in the last three games of this preseason, which means that he's going to be the highest-rated first-round rookie, period. But he played 86% of his snaps in the slot. He allowed three receptions for 14 yards on seven targets. Mm. That is elite production. He does that Mm. in the regular season. We have ourselves a perennial pro bowler. Yeah, I mean, and this isn't about, you know – to to like Minka in the slot where he's been playing, you know it. You don't. You're not denigrating Bobby right. McCain. I mean, he's well, still out and there, not, and you're not denigrating. You're not denigrating Minka's ability to pre, to play free safety or to that's play right. That's right. You, yeah. You're just you're just getting your five best players sure. on the field all at once. Which and is and smart I agent. think the big game in this game was by T.J. McDonald, and he needed it because yeah. he was against the ropes a little bit. Um, yeah. You could see, and he he did step up. He did. Play he well. did. We, he did. We've all been critical his... of him, but he did play very well. A rough outing for our guy Jalen Davis, who was beaten a few times in the slot, and and disappointingly as well, Cornell Armstrong only seemed to play in the in the back half of the fourth quarter, which yeah. makes you wonder. I mean, Jalen was returning kicks. Especially if Jakeem is still, you know, questionable, then maybe, just maybe, and Kalen is still questionable with a concussion, then maybe he gets a chance there. But Tory McTyre is returning kicks as well. You do wonder if these two, these two kids are going to make the 53 now because, you know, Jalen was beaten, you know, three or four times, and it wasn't, it, it probably wasn't his greatest performance as a as a pro. Yeah. Well, I think if you're a fan of Jalen Davis, this is the game for you because he's going to play somewhere around 65 snaps. Yeah. Against Atlanta. I think, and I don't think I don't think I guess either they'll, guys, they'll make their evaluation off of that game. I, I suspect probably one or both of them will end up on the practice squad. But you know, it's I didn't think Jalen had that bad of a game when no, I, I went, went back and looked at the second half. You know, where he's where he's mostly playing. I thought there was there was particularly one play where a lot of people might might ding him a little bit. And actually, I thought I thought that it, there were there were other people more responsible. There was a play in there that I am positive Cordrea Tankersley once again <laughs> even if he wasn't on the field. No, I mean he was he was he was there but you know was not there. I mean he he played the wrong coverage. I just want to mention one thing as well and we laugh about the kicking game. Matt Hawk punted and has punted really really well in in preseason because he was booming punts 
the other day. And we don't, we never talk about it. But field position, you know, special teams is really important. We score points from it. We pin people back in, you know, with mm. good punts. He was punting really, really well. I mean, again, Darren Rizzi is one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL because yes, consistently, yeah. not only does he turn out a great unit, but consistently he finds these specialists. Right now, we're going to go out and have word from uh, from some of our other podcasts on the network. But when we get back, we're going to talk about some of our lasting impressions from the preseason. And we're also going to take some Twitter questions. So until then. Previously on the Five Reasons podcast, we were joined by Miami Dolphins receiver Jakeem Grant. Nobody knows. Like, I actually didn't start playing football. My mom put me in football because I also I love skating. And I made two dudes fall at the same time. And my mom was sitting there watching. And the next day, the next thing you know, she signs me up for football the next day. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I just, I just did that for fun. And it was, the rest was history. Be sure to catch that episode and all the other episodes of the Five Reasons Podcast available on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Josh Darrow here, host of the Five Rings Podcast, where it's always a cane sting on the Five Reasons Sports Network. What are we about? Pretty easy. I want to tell stories, and I want to share the journey for the players and coaches, past and present, affiliated with the University of Miami. Take Manny Diaz. He grew up in Miami. He grew up going to the Orange Bowl. It was, you know, it was all those 1980s teams. You know, that that's where it all started for me, and just just the style of play and. And really, it was it really took hold when Jimmy Johnson was here, and, you know, sitting there in the Orange Bowl in '86 when we're whipping Oklahoma, and just you know what I mean, just just speed and then violence. You know what I mean? It, it, it you know we're not only you know you know Nebraska it was a changing of college football. It's those kind of memories we want to share with you. Listen, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate the support. The Five Rings Podcast, where it's always a cane sting, and we're always a part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth, 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 man. They already know this is OJ McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for? We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins Tales from the Deep. OJ, tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch is chasing (laughs) me because you you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. (laughs) Wait, why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah. Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. All right, we're back. That was great. We're going to get to some lasting impressions of the preseason. We're kind of wrapping up the important parts of the preseason now, and now we've got a fourth game where a lot of the backups and bubble players are going to be competing really to be on somebody else's team maybe. Um, But I want to get your guys' lasting impressions. For me, I've already pretty much alluded to it. It was the defensive progress that we saw. The, the fact that the defense was the first string defense, that is, was leaky in the first game against the Buccaneers. By the second game, they were kind of locking it down on most plays, but then letting up those huge aggravating plays. The 71 yard touchdown to Christian McCaffrey and the um, the longer touchdown pass to Ian Thomas. Uh, and then in the Baltimore game from the first play, 
really locked it down and played such a game that, you know, Baltimore's offense had really a pitiful performance in that first half. So that's the story of the preseason to me is the defensive progress. And I wonder how, if, whether it bodes well for the regular season, but what do you think Simon is the story of the preseason or your lasting impression from the preseason? For me, it's two kids, essentially one on either side of the ball who look set for stardom in terms of the NFL. Kenyon Drake just continues to impress, stayed healthy. He's such a threat running the ball. He's such a threat in the in the past game. You saw him step up into holes and pick up blitzes and do it with great form, great technique. He's just got everything. He's so explosive. You know, he could, you know, one week he could go off for 170 yards. You know, next week you could see him catching. You know, uh, uh, do you know he reminds me of a little bit. And if they if they used him correctly or not correctly because they are using him correctly, but if they use him this way, he reminds me a little bit of Roger Craig. And that's mm. one for the slightly older fans. But, you know, the, the, the 49ers running back who had 1,000 yards receiving, 1,000 yards rushing in the same season, he could be that kind of guy. The other guy for me is Xavier Howard, who looks just super smooth, super in control. The game has slowed right down for him. He's, he's got the footwork. He's got the hips. He's just got everything that you look for in an elite NFL cornerback. And I think he's ready to make that progression that we've talked about in those last five or six games of last season. Everything that you've seen through the spring and the summer, he looks ready to take that step. And just two kids that are just, I think, you know, we don't have a lot of stars in Miami because we've not performed very well. But we know that there are players here that the rest of the country doesn't really know about. But because we're a 6-10 and 10 team, because we're generally a moribund franchise, I think if we're ready to take the next step, we're doing it behind, you know, a couple of guys like Drake and Howard who could just be set for breakout years. Alf, what do you think uh, is going to be your lasting impression from this preseason? My lasting impression is that we have five players now that we did not have last year, and all five are going to make a pretty big impact this year. And they are Josh Sitton, which mm-hmm. is obvious. We have He's obviously the best left guard we're going to have. We've had here in, I don't know, since when. And Jamie Nails. Maybe Jamie Nails. That's a good. That's a good one right there. Robert Quinn. He looks great. You know, there's nothing to nitpick here. <laughs> Guy's a great pass rusher so far. Mika Fitzpatrick, Mike Gusecki, Ryan Tannehill. That's five guys. Uh, the five real guys. key in all this, huh? Yeah, yeah five guys. Five guys we did not have last year on a six and ten team. Are those five guys good enough to make up mm-hmm. the difference between six and ten and ten and six? I say yes, and those are my expectations for this season. Who are the narrative setters in this on this team? Because you know that's that's one of the pr- big problems that we're seeing this offseason. I kind of kind of got to it a little bit before with us losing Jarvis Landry and and Dominic and Sue. Those are sort of the narrative setters. Those are the guys that people in the the big offices around nationally will recognize and talk do about. You, do you do you, do, do you think that Kenyon Drake? And Xavier Howard are good, or and possibly Robert Quinn. You know who knows? Um, are they good enough to get those tongues wagging and get those narratives working and say, you know, sort of Indomitian who? Um, yes. You know that that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yes, especially Kenyon Drake because Kenyon Drake does play a sexy position, and in my opinion, a position that is going under kind of a renaissance. Look around the league. Look at the the great players around this league, and Le'Veon Bell is going to get paid. Trust me, he will get paid. Gurley already did get paid. Ezekiel Elliott will get paid. These are stars. These are all running backs, okay? Kenyon Drake, after three weeks, if he has 400 yards from scrimmage, after three weeks, he's a superstar. And every talk show on ESPN and Fox Sports and... 
NFL Network is going to be saying, wow, look at this guy. Where did he come from? We all knew he was here. But all the narratives will begin to change. The other guy I think we be... have flash players. I think we yeah. do. I, I the think other guy we have guys be... that will make play, sports center plays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other guy is going to be Jasicki. If yeah. we trust Jasicki enough, if we throw to him enough, then mm-hmm. because of what he did at the combine and because he became a narrative at the combine because he ran so fast and because he looked sure. so, you know, that is good. He's a big name. He comes from a big school. He played alongside Saquon. You know, Trace McSorley, all those big plays that he made. He is in an awful lot. And there has to be something behind the fact that we are not throwing to him in the red zone. Yet we're throwing to him every single practice in the red zone. You know, every single day we're hearing about Jasicki makes this one-handed touchdown catch in the red zone. Another great catch by Jasicki in the red zone. Another touchdown. He beats, you know, two men in the... Adam Gase is sandbagging this so bad in the the preseason. He's he's doing it on purpose. Narrative-wise, Jasicki could be the guy in terms of you know, because everybody knows who he is. They saw him at Penn State. They saw him at the Combine because of what he did. And Rich Eisen talking about how fast he ran and how athletic he, he performed off the scales athletically. He could be that guy. I think I think between he and Kenyon Drake on offense and then on defense, Xavier Howard is a big storyline. He's going to continue to be a big storyline. And Robert Quinn, I mean, yeah. he, he really has played that well this preseason. We'll see how it translates to the regular season. But all the hype that we heard in training camp, which we, we like to be skeptical of. We were skeptical of it on this show. Um, but he's shown it in the preseason. So if he plays like that in the regular season, he's another storyline along with Xavier Howard. And then I think that you have, you know, you still have Rashad Jones there. Everybody knows Rashad Jones. Mm-hmm. So you get those three guys on defense, create and camera wake as well. Those four guys really on defense, creating, uh, creating sort of a perception about the team and changing the perception about the team. And then on offense between Kenny Drake and Mike Gesicki, you got more of that. You got, um, you got more of that perception changing, you know, game changing type uh, playmaking ability. So, yeah. So we'll see. Well, before we get out of here, we got Twitter questions and this week we have plenty to choose from. And I decided to take them all. Oh, if you send in a question today, you're getting you're getting it answered today. So, Chris, this one's for you. This is the first one. This oh, is from this is from Zach Jackson at Black Creek six five six, and he asks, "What is the best flavor of Sun Chips?" And he writes, hashtag Team Harvest Cheddar. Oh, Harvest Cheddar is a really good one. Well, you can't um, choose it because he chose he chose that. Uh, well, if if I don't go there, I mean, I know that it's the most readily available, but Garden Veggie's a good one for me. I mean, yeah, you know what? I'm with you. All right. Next question, Corey Ashburn, and this one is directly at Simon. Is at, this the Corey that bought you drinks, by the way? No. That might be responsible for your cirrhosis. Him. No, this is not him. All right, Corey Ashburn at Corey13 writes to Simon, what did Mrs. Ross think about the third preseason game? <laughs> Give us a quote in your best Mrs. Ross voice. See, I wasn't going to pull her out this week because I didn't want it to become, you know. All you got to pull out is a very brief quote. Hey, Stephen, we threw the ball down the field to Drake. We threw the ball. I told you to throw the ball down the field. And guess what? You threw it down the field. I love you, boy. Perfect. Chris, Michael Weitzner. I'm not doing that voice. (laughs) Michael Weitzner at and Weitzner. It's clear from preseason that he is one of the best DBs on the team and needs to be on the field for every defensive play. Mm-hmm. Well, I think once they get more comfortable with him uh, knowing all of the, the run fits, especially, we talked about this last week, you know, in this defense, there are some unique 
assignments that you have in the run game and you have to fill you have to fill gaps that you're that uh, players are not necessarily used to doing with other teams when they get more comfortable with him then we might see that more but um also i think tj mcdonald has such a good game that he's going to have to play his way out of it a little bit if that makes sense simon this is mike thompson Ooh. at mj 1987 us 26 I am pretty sure that this is the guy that won the, the Dolphin tickets for the season opener against the Titans. Nice. And this one's for you, Simon. What's the ceiling for Gasecki this year? Oh, I mean, it, it could be anything. It could be like 60 catches and 10 touchdowns. It could be. It could be 40 catches and 10 touchdowns. I mean, I think he's going to catch a lot of touchdowns. I do. Um, it, he, listen, it, it may not go particularly well, and it could he could end up with you know 18 catches. But it strikes me that they know something that, that we think we know. And most people don't know, and it's that he's going to be unleashed as this weapon. I just there's just too much scuttlebutt, too much buzz about Jasicki this, Jasicki that. Every single day we're hearing stuff about him. I just think I don't think he's beyond the realms of possibility. He catches sixty passes, he might end up with twenty five. But I, I think he's going to be a threat, and I think he's going to be so dangerous. And, and the matchup, especially running that wire so formation that Gaze loves so much, and he's finally got the guy he wants to run to do it it's his guy I, I think the ceiling is 60 catches 10 touchdowns With, i think that i said before that a ceiling is uh, is more like jeremy shockey's rookie year and that was a 900 yard year um yeah. with with a whole lot of targets and a whole lot of catches only three touchdowns i think Gasicki would get more than that but i think the thing to keep in mind here is the weakness of Devonte parker is puts the ball a little bit in Gasicki's court as the the other tall guy who can run deep down the field and make physical plays on the football. And then, and then the last thing to get to is the, the rule changes and how we saw the referees throwing the flag every time somebody even tried to, you know, separate the defender or separate the, the receiver from the ball over the middle of the field. And if that's the case, then you got a six foot six inch guy that runs a four or five and can leap, you know, 43 inches or whatever. And, uh, and you want to send them down the deep middle and have no fear about it, then go ahead. You know, you do it. Just throw the ball. And um, and so I think that he he might, uh, based on the number of snaps, Alf, you saw it in yeah. practice. You mm-hmm. saw how many snaps he was getting. Yeah. You saw how many snaps he was getting in uh, in the preseason. The guy is all over the place in that first team offense. And so I don't care what the depth chart says. I don't care the, about the fact that he's a rookie. He's going to be involved in so many snaps that he's going to play and he's going to he's going to produce a lot. Yeah. All right, I'll take this one, and this one is from Ron Caniff at Finn's Broadcaster, and he writes, considering Parker and Grant injuries, what percent of snaps would you see Wilson getting week one? I say if both guys are out, Albert Wilson will get 100% of the snaps at wide receiver. Yeah. Both of 100%. you agree? Yeah, pretty much. All right. Yeah, I think that, that sounds about right. Yeah. All right, Simon, this one's for you. John Crimes at E-L-T-W-R-I-T-E-R, which is Twitter. And he writes, most surprising cut. Give me a name. Tony Lippett. Okay. Chris, you have one? Um, no, I don't on offhand. Okay. This one's for you, Chris. Laz at Laz M. Gonzalez. And he writes, do you think it's time we move away from the wide nine defense? I think this time next year there's a, yeah. there's a fair possibility that we're looking at moving away from that and uh, diversifying the defensive front a little bit more. Because we've already got the Saban coverages in the back end. Yeah. And so I think that 
there there could be a push to move the, to the front end to more of a diverse diversified attack. Okay, we got two more questions, and this one's from Jesse Hench at MN FinFan, and he writes, although we answered this already, but one of the questions is interesting, and the question goes, how will the wide receiver touches be spread out? We've answered that before. It's going to be widely spread out. Is it going to be a spread out fairly even? Yes, it will be. Who will eventually become Tannehill Gase's go-to in crunch time? That's the question I wanted to get to. Simon? I think it will be Amendola. I agree. But, Chris? But, uh, but yeah, I think, I'll, I'll go with the Amendola. Yeah. What were but you I saying, think, Simon? Well, I was just going to say, I don't think he will. I think it will be Amendola for experience, but mm-hmm. I don't think he'll be scared to go to any of those guys in crunch time. He's got a great relationship with Kenny. It looks like he's got a good relationship with Wilson. We've already talked about Jasicki. Right. Amandola is, I, I, I think, in crunch time he will look for Amandola, but I don't think he'll be scared to look for any of these guys. Because yeah, I think it, it, it's about Tannehill, not not yeah. Gase so much. And yeah. uh, and Tannehill is just, you you've seen it already. I think Tannehill is going to look for Amandola. That's going to yeah. be his his safety um, his go to. Yeah. yeah. All right, Chris, and this is the last question. You could answer this one first. It's from Rob R. Tolkien. At our doubles, and he asks a very simple question: Has Kiko Alonso been good this preseason? You know, I, I've been thinking about that. Uh, there have been times, as there always are with Kiko Alonso, when you just want to tear your hair out because, you know, he's trying to cover he's trying to cover a running back uh, out in in zone or something like that, and and he's just he's just not there. And you're, you're like, Kiko, what, what is wrong with, but then there have been a lot of other times this preseason when he, he played really well. You know what? He started out last year, 2016, he, or not 2016, 2017. Sorry. He started out. I don't know if people remember having a really strong couple of outings, uh, a really strong couple of games. And then, and then it really fell off. Um, and when it fell off, it fell off. Uh, I think that, you could, I mean, he's still got that in him. He's still got good Kiko and bad Kiko in him, and so we we could see a little bit more of the good this year. I I think that that moment when he was on the wrong sidelines was a bit scary, yeah. uh, and and the uh, the moment after the game when he's answering questions and sort of, you know, just sort of didn't seem all there answering the questions. I'm like, I'm you know, I'm scared for this guy, but um, but he's playing he's playing pretty well. Simon? Yeah, I mean, look, essentially you want Kiko doing the things that Kiko does well, which is generally moving forwards towards the ball. You don't want him backpedaling, turning in space and being isolated one-on-one in space. What we want as a defence to do is get him doing the things that he does best, which is flowing to the ball, attacking the ball, moving forwards. Obviously, and robbing lanes. And yes. robbing lanes, absolutely. An offence's job is obviously to do, to try and get, and they identify things like that, obviously. They identify the fact that if you get Kiko in space or you get him matched up on Christian McCaffrey or whatever, that's going to be a win for the offence. So it, it's the game within the game. We want him to be doing the things that we know that he can do to a good slash high level. We don't want him doing the things that we know that he struggles with conversely the offense are trying to get him into a situation where he does do the things that he struggles with rather than he's flowing naturally to the ball and making tackles like he we know that he can do it, it it's working out uh, and it's the role of matt burke to try and win that battle and, and sometimes we'll win it sometimes we'll lose it but also sometimes he's not going to be on the field because potentially you know there are ways and means that we can we will run that defense that mean that kiko won't be on the field so perhaps you won't get into quite as many brouhaha's as we did last season in terms of you know some matchup problems but you know i think he's had a decent preseason he did he looked a bit 
he looked a bit, you know, bad old Kiko against McCaffrey. Yeah. I thought he played pretty well the other night against the Ravens. So let's see how it plays out. Yeah. I will say this. I will say this. I headed into this thing thinking that, you know, Kiko will eventually have to come off the field and nickel, uh, and it'll be Raekwon and, uh, and Jerome Baker uh, by the end of the year. I think now, I mean, it's enough. What we've seen is enough that I'm actually starting to think about that and starting to think that the, the Kiko Alonso and Jerome Baker pairing and nickel might be the way to go on a lot of these plays. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how it goes during the season. If it, if it blows up, it does, then whatever. But, um, but I do see Baker as the guy that can cover these guys out of the backfield and man up on them and follow them around and stay in their hip pocket because he's so fast. And he's also got sort of the versatility that we're seeing as a blitzer uh, and, and as a pass rusher that um, that he's a natural fit here for this this nickel look. And Kiko Alonso, it's sort of, it's sort of between Kiko Alonso and Raekwon McMillan as to who looks better as a, as a real linebacker. Right now, it's Kiko. All right, that's it. There Sorry. is no more. Don't forget, come out this Sunday to watch Miami LSU at the new Uncle Al's Cafe in the corner of Sunrise and Knob Hill. Go ahead and laugh, Simon. That is not a Knob Hill you want to die on. No, it is not. All right, be there at Sunday, 7 o'clock. You can watch me drink beer. You can see all the other personalities of the Five Reasons Sports Network. Next week, we will be talking about week one of the NFL. We will not break down Falcons, Dolphins. I promise you that. We will be talking about Marcus Mariota and the Tennessee Titans <laughs> and a new Miami Dolphins regular season. Till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.